Welcome back to the Life of the Academy podcast. I'm Midshipman Gavin Milligan. In this episode, you will hear three midshipmen interview the current Deputy Commandant of Midshipmen, Captain David Foreman. Keep listening to hear Captain Foreman reflect on his own time as a midshipman, his experience as class president, and his experiences as Deputy Commandant. Thanks for listening. Captain Foreman, sir, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks. So an intro question we're going to ask is, what initially drew you as a high schooler to the Naval Academy? Uh, so I'm from Southern California. My mother went to uh, UCLA. My father went to USC. In my high school stubbornness, if you will, I did not care to follow in my mother or father's footsteps, so I was looking to do something different. Uh, randomly, one day, my dad said, how about the Air Force Academy? He had been in the Air Force very, very briefly as an MP. And I, I had not heard about it yet, didn't know anything about it, looked into it. It seemed different and exciting in Colorado Springs. And I, I started applying. And it wasn't until I got to the nomination process with my congressman that I realized I, I, at the top, it's which academy are you applying to? And I said, oh, there's, there's more than one. There's not just the Air Force Academy. Uh, so obviously did not grow up in a military family or anything like that. So once I knew that, I looked into West Point and the Naval Academy. This is back in the days before the internet. Just so happens that there was a course catalog at my high school for the Naval Academy. It was the last three by five card tear out that you could add your name and mailing address and drop in the mail. So I did that. Uh, the rest is history. Uh, I got into all three. I was notified by the Naval Academy first uh, on Thanksgiving Day, actually, that I was going to get a letter of assurance. So mentally, I started kind of committing to the Naval Academy. And later, when I found out I got into West Point and Air Force, it was already, my, my mind had, was already in Annapolis. Um, fortunate enough to visit all three. A couple of factors weighed in. Uh, great location here in Annapolis. And then also with, with some differences. But generally speaking, anything you do in the Air Force or the Army, you can also do in the Navy. Uh, if, from ground combat to, uh, to flying, and, and then uh, and I ended up doing the, the one thing you can only do in the Navy is of ghost submarines, but that, that's what brought me here. What would you have changed about the Academy while you were here, and has your perception on that changed since you've come back as stepped on? So I guess an interesting answer of twofold is, in generally speaking, I think I, I definitely had my frustrations, don't get me wrong. I'm sure I complained, like the average midshipman frustrated about some things here and there. But my overall academy experience was, was positive. Uh, I, I enjoyed my time here. I just kind of accepted it, knew what I was getting into. So I didn't, didn't have a lot of problems. However, I, f- I do find myself coming back, and I, I feel like I'm still in touch with the midshipman foreman's kind of mindset. I, I try to view the academy through the eyes of a, of a midshipman. Uh, the midshipmen are our target developmental audience, so we can be trying stuff, but if it's not resonating with midshipmen, we're wasting our time. So I need to understand how midshipmen are seeing it. And when I see, well, like, well, that's silly. That doesn't make sense. Why are we doing this? As I'm looking through a midshipman's eyes, I try to change that and affect that and either explain why or change it. And, and uh, so, so that's what I'm doing now. So I, though I wouldn't have changed anything, I, I am changing things now because that's the great thing when you get to, though I'm not in command, I work for the commandant, you know, I accept the superintendent's guidance and direction, and same with the commandant's guidance and direction. Uh, but... But there's, it's a big academy, lots of things to be done. 
So I have a lot of place base to provide, to do some research, if you will, with midshipmen, explore policies, ex uh, explore improvements, and then send those up to the commandant for approval. Uh, so I've, I've been trying to do that and, and to, to become more efficient about what we do and really explain to the brigade why we do what we do. Going off that, sir, do you see many major cultural differences between when you were a midshipman and the brigade as it is right now? Also, like a 50-50, I say in general, no, would be my answer. If I had to commit to one answer, I'd commit to no. They're, they're, we're here in an environment, I think, just the, the dynamics that have not changed of going to class, well, you know, starting with plebe summer. Uh, a couple of minor differences in plebe summer. Still an intense physical it's, it's Annapolis in the summertime. You've got all kinds of new things that you're doing, all kinds of new uniforms, and, and so on. So you have some folks, uh, prior enlisted Napsters, some legacy, whether their mom or dad or both have come here, and some very little background. They're all coming together through Plebe Summer. So that experience, though some differences, fundamentally the same. You get into the act here, and, and the, the dynamic of squad tables, the, the dynamic of class, the, the dynamic of sports period, all is about the same stuff. It has the same effect on human beings that go through that process. Uh, that said, there are some social differences, uh, certainly social media and that dynamic and, and having to deal with not just what people are saying in the hall, because there were rumors back then, but now it's the rumors online too, and the connections online and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think in general, we're a more tolerant society uh, the, that we're coming in and and things like uh, in my personal experience, uh, when the Navy repealed the don't ask, don't tell policy, some generations thought, oh, wow, this is going to be a huge change. But for the current generation, it was no big deal. So those are some of the changes that, that we are pulling from America and those social norms have shifted in the 20 to 25 years. Uh, but but the fundamental experience of the Naval Academy, I think, is at, at its core is is the same. Sir, the second that you graduated, the second you threw your cover up in the air, what was your goal? Was it five and dive, CNO? What was what was? So if I told you I had a goal, I would be lying. Uh, I, 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 I would think and I would advise most graduates is don't decide until you have to. And you don't have to decide on graduation. And you're going to learn a whole lot more as soon as you start going down the, the schooling and then the serving on the front, you know, at the units that you'll go to and whatever it was that you were service assigned. So my whole, nearly my whole time here, I wanted to be a pilot. I had an aviation cruise that was kind of mediocre. I didn't enjoy the, what in my, in my experience on my cruise was a lot of sitting around because they weren't, they weren't deployed. Uh, where I had an awesome submarine cruise, but they were they were deployed in the Med Mediterranean for awesome ports in one month time and, and got to see the crew operate at sea. So maybe not apples to apples, but that's why I really had a positive experience with my submarine cruise. And <clears throat> so when I shifted, one of the reasons I shifted was I wanted to lead immediately, which I, I knew I'd be able to do in the submarine force, have a division. Uh, Maybe an element of it was to, to have marketable skills because I didn't know what I wanted to do whenever, whenever it was that I got out of the Navy, knowing I'd get out eventually. And the commitment of being only at five years was another factor is that I'm still not sure and I'd like the option to get out at five if this isn't for me. And the way it panned out was I served on two submarines. My first was very old. I had a great run to the North Pole on a science mission, shifted to another operational submarine out in Pearl Harbor, uh, was with her for a deployment and a half. Uh, it's good to be competent, be competent in what you do. So I was an officer of the deck uh, doing our mission. Uh, there were some headlines in the world at that time. Uh, 
they were incorrect, and we knew they were incorrect because we were on station providing the president with the knowledge of what was actually going on. And so standing off of the deck, providing our commander-in-chief useful, relevant information that made his decision-making easier and more accurate, I found very professionally rewarding. So at that time, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I had our first child with my wife. Uh, that was all fine. And, and I said, that why don't we, you know, I don't know what else I would do. I'm not drawn to anything else. We're pro the Navy is providing for us, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing serving our country. So I, then I decided to, to stay in uh, for the second tour. And, uh, you know, same thing there. Department of Tours challenging. You're kind of halfway there. Uh, but at that point, I, I was going after the, the lure that I saw in the visitor center before I came here was that it's all about command at sea. That is why you join the Navy. That is why you come to the Naval Academy uh, to earn the opportunity to, to command at sea. So that that where that is where my, my goal was set at that point, but not at graduation. And it was not until my second submarine where it really clicked and, and you're fully warfare qualified, you're an asset to the community that you're in. That's when, that's when you need to make the decision and, and not until then. Do you think the role of upper leadership and the overall culture of the Brigade and Naval Academy has changed from your commissioning during a relative peacetime to now uh, near peer competition? I would say it's a, I'm giving you a lot of yes and no's, and I, that is kind of how I think, uh, not, not in absolutes, because it's a diverse brigade and it's a very diverse world. I've been to the National War College, and that was one of my takeaways. You have a lot of really smart folks talk to you about geopolitical concerns. One, on one day, will give you one, one view of it, and you think, wow, they got it all figured out. The next day, you have an equally smart person giving you the other view, and you think, wow, they got it all figured out, but they can't both be right. So lots of unknowns in our, in our future, lots of uncertainty. And then, so uh, sure, we, we have changed. What's going on in the world today may motivate a few midshipmen to either uh, to actually come or maybe some high school students to not come uh, based on what's going on. Uh, but in general, you know, the vast majority of your time at the Naval Academy, you're a generalist because you don't know what community you're going to go into. So 41 of your 47 months, they're uncertain, and you got to just take it all in and become a, a, a courageous, moral you know, leader in, in all the various things of our mission and all the other um, guidance that we, we give to midshipmen on, on what they should be working on because they, they can't start to prepare for their actual warfare specialty until after service assignment. And even then, it's really not until after graduation you go to your first school. You have the practicum course, but that's uh, limited in, in, in what you're really doing. Uh, so all that is to say... Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, it's interesting times, uh, lots of discourse on what's going on in the world. Definitely need to follow it and be informed by it. Uh, we know who our near peers are. Uh, we know the, the introduction of the cyber threats uh, along with the, the conventional threats and the, the nuclear uh, backdrop is, is still there. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't see a fundamental shift in the, the nature of warfare. Plenty of people would disagree with me. But I, I just don't think midshipmen are, when they, when they choose to come here, they're not that focused on it. They just come for a variety of reasons, and it's okay if they figure that out along the way, as most midshipmen, I think, do. Sir, one of my earliest memories of when you came here as Depdont was you brought the Depdont who was here when you were a midshipman uh, for lunch last, last year, I believe. What was your perception of, of the role when you were a midshipman? So the, the first one I brought was uh, Captain Farrell. He was, I was the brigade sergeant major in my second class year, fall semester. And we had a thing at the time, uh, just, just you guys call it feedback uh, for us. We had a DOS-based email system at the time. 
So in your email application, whatever it was, it was a rumor triple star, the you know, shift eight key. And that was the email address, no, no at the USNA domain stuff that we have now. And my job as a sergeant major was to answer those. And to be able to do that, I would meet with Captain Farrell on a weekly basis, run down the questions I got, and he would give me the answers. I would compose the email and send it out to the brigade. Um, so that, that, I remember that, and I thought that would be a thing, is, is addressing the rumors and uh, scuttlebutt, if you will, of the brigade. And other than that, uh, I really had to pause. Even though I had worked here, again, as a lieutenant commander in uh, the admin building that is now called Larson Hall, uh, I, didn't, I didn't interact with Bancroft Hall that much. I was focused on supporting the superintendent at the time. So I really did need to read the book and talk to folks on what does the DEPDOT do. I was a pretty decent midshipman. I didn't have a whole lot of interaction. So I, I knew adjudications were part of that. But I've, I've tried to take on the, the, an XO role here and, and really simplify things for the commandant so he's got white space to make strategic decisions for the brigade. While once the decisions are made, I can follow up and, and make sure that they're executed and he doesn't have to worry about it. So, sir, you just mentioned that you didn't really know when you were a midshipman what exactly the DEPDOT did. Do you think in your position right now that midshipmen's perception of those senior leaders' positions matters? Or is it more just a autonomous kind of thing going on? I think if we're effective in our roles, it, it, it absolutely does matter. Uh, everybody wants to have faith in their chain of command, but the faith comes trust with, hey, I'm going to send something up the chain of command. Is it worth it or not? Are they going to tell me why or not? All these things. And there's also this part about their, their association with, like, our identities. Like, so they're obviously not, not us. Or we have this generational gap or older but everyone knows we've been in their shoes. So it's this combination of this, that, that they're, it's a dichotomy a, a little bit of, like, they're, they're just like me, that we were like them when we were midshipmen so we can identify. And, and, but ideally, if we're doing our job as well and setting the right example, that we would also emulate the type of leaders that midshipmen would want to be when they, quote, unquote, grow up in their career. So they can develop into people like us, and, and hopefully that's a positive thing. Uh, again, it's a big brigade, uh, no illusions that we're going to actually achieve that, uh, but it's, it's there. So that's not likership, uh, don't need to be friends, just that, that that respect ought to be there if they see who we are and that, you know what, I, I, I like this path, that, that they, they were here, they've done what I'm doing, they've picked up the lessons and the experiences through their career that I'm going to have the same opportunity to do and that I can end up being yeah, similarly effective in a senior leadership role when I get to the 06 level in my, in my branch of service. Uh, along the lines of a commander's intent, every officer here kind of has their main things that they like to prioritize. How do you choose which rules to prioritize and enforce more than others? Yeah, as Deb Dunn, I should say, I, I enforce absolutely every rule. Uh, as, as a leader, you, you need to know your audience, and there's a time and place for things. Context is very important to me, and I think for leadership to be effective, you need to know if I'm going to give some direction or guidance or intervene in some way with a midshipman, I need to know where they are at, like mentally. Are they, are they ready to receive direction from the DEPDON? And if you catch them in the wrong spot, and then, then you, you can end up being, instead of not just not, not helping at all, but, but hurting the situation and making it worse. So uh, I think that, that I don't have a specific list. Sometimes it's really small things. I'll tell you, blue and golds in tea court at lunchtime, I'm, I'm going to stop you and say something no matter how much you're hobbling. And I, I, I enter that conversation with how's it going, when did you have surgery, what's going on, or whatever. 
and it's not a yelling thing. It's a, do you understand why you can't be here in that uniform at this time of day? Um, and then uh, other times, there, I mean, so there are some absolutes and there are some, I'm just busy going to this meeting. I can see that thing over there. If I had more time, I'd say something, but it's, it's just not in the priority. It, it's going to fall to the wayside right now. At the end of the day, I do focus on generating effective leaders. The end state of being successful is not 100% adherence to mid-regs. Uh, that's just not, it's not realistic. It, 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 uh, mid-regs is a standard. Knowing your target audience, knowing the context, knowing the time. Is it a one midshipman getting away with something, or is it a systemic problem in the brigade? And that's, that's how I view things at my level. Is, is the, I don't have enough time to individually correct every midshipman. I need to back up, codify the guidance, get the midshipman leadership and the company officer, senior enlisted leadership on board to affect, to re, you know, reiterate, clarify the standard, and start enforcing it. And then I've got 60 more, 70, 80 more people on the lookout to enforce that. And that's how I cause change at my level. Sir, in my personal opinion, one of the hardest parts about being a midshipman is, is feeling connected to the big Navy or the fleet, um, the Marine, Marine Corps. Um, through our roles and our daily tasks that can seem trivial at times as midshipmen, how do you as Depton ensure that the product that the fleet wants is the product that's being produced? So great question, and and there it's we don't get any specific needs from the the big navy, as it were. I mean, we we get the quotas every year for what how many midshipmen we need in every service assignment kind of category. Uh, again, we we you're here to get an undergraduate education. Generally speaking, everybody is a generalist leader uh, through their time here, and and if we are meeting those core principles. Uh, the midshipman attributes, then, then, then we're accomplishing our job. Because what's going on right now, you know, for when you pick a class, so class of 25, class of 26, quite possible that, you know, where's Ukraine going to be in two years? And, and you'll have a lot of really smart people tell you where they think it's going to be, but nobody knows. Um, and, and just so much can change then. So a lot of uncertainty out there, and we can't chase that. So we, we fall back on core principles good citizens, good leaders, uh, you know, with the right, the right character, moral courage, all the stuff that we, we talk about all the time. If we're doing that and they're versatile in that way, then it's up to their communities to train them on the specific skill set. Uh, part of that is a general understanding of, of the world, absolutely. I think our core curriculum achieves that as, as best as we have time for, uh, given, given you that part as well as the technical aspects to understand the technical world that you'll be graduating into. Uh, so. So that's really my answer, and as far as what midshipmen can do, it's just it's a little bit of patience. Understand the history of the current things while you're here. Uh, pay attention to your Naval Heritage courses so you understand the, the longer history of, of some of our the countries that you may be you know, interacting with and, and uh, be stationed at and so on. Uh, but other than that, uh, you ramp up, uh, have, the, have the baseline, and then ramp up when it's time. Once you know your community and once you know where you're going, we have the, the fleet has, has processes to do that. What initially interested you to run for class president? So a little, little story here. <clears throat> the reason I'm class president has to do with a, a pretty big change in Navy policy. Uh, back to that semester when I was the brigade sergeant major, one of the battalion sergeant majors was our, our class president. And he was originally class of 97, had a pretty serious illness, almost didn't make it, but he recovered. And he rolled back to the class of 98 with, with us. 
And when you when you do it a second time, you you kind of have the place wired because you've you've seen it. And and uh, so he he was he was doing well, and uh, knew just really familiar and kind of a as his election as class president would tell you, he he was a class leader. Um, so I w- we were doing a lot of stuff together in the sergeant major roles. I say hey, you're class president. Why don't I run for for vice president? And I think it was different now because we didn't all run as youngsters. I don't know why. I don't remember how we did it, but uh, I ran unopposed for vice president as a second class. Uh, so so I won that because nobody else wanted it. And then we roll into our uh, the, the tail end of our of our second class year. Uh, he came under allegations of uh, of being a homosexual, which was against policy. It was don't ask, don't tell, uh, unwanted advance, and and uh, another midshipman had made an allegation against him. So the academy acted rather swiftly, and he he was uh, stripped of all leadership responsibilities. He was set up to be the plebe summer uh, regimental commander. Uh, that was he was revoked from that, and he was no longer class president. So this is the day before the class of '97 graduated. I get a call to go see the Deptant. He tells me all this, and then he tells me to go see one of the deans in the in the dean's office to uh, be told my role for the three three cheers for graduation the next day. So that's how I became class president. Roll into first of the year, I'm executing the role until we had uh, elections, sometimes second semester, and then there was a runoff, but I, I won that one as well, and and that's then now I'm, I've been class president ever since. So. Never expected to be class president, but that that uh, Navy's policy of don't ask, don't tell, and uh, the allegation uh, kind of led me to that role. And then after you uh, toss your covers at graduation, nobody nobody cares to do it anymore because that's the fun part. The rest is just work. Sir, so as class president, how do you maintain relationships with the rest of your classmates and organize different events that you may have to do on top of your military duties? I've been lucky. Uh, the submarine force has lined up very well that I've been on shore duty for each of our major reunions. So that's one of the, the biggest. There's really three things that you do as class president is plan, organize reunions. If I don't do it myself, I need to make sure that they are planned by other competent people. Uh, all the, the uh, death notifications and, and any kind of memorials that you have there and notifying the class about that. And, and then raising money for class projects is, is wherever your, your classmates uh, show interest in doing that. Uh, so um, that's that's what I've been doing and, and maintaining relationships in our generation. Uh, I have two methods to stay in touch with my classmates. The Alumni Association maintains an email database that's the same one that they have. I have access to it as class president. So for, for big stuff such as a, a lose, loss of a classmate, uh, reunion things, I send out that way because it's considered official. And then we do have a Facebook group with a, about the same number of users, 700 or so, and we've got about 800 on the email distribution. And that's how we stay in touch. And those are all the, if you haven't done it yet, but it, you know, anywhere we see the number 98 on a, uh, you pay you, on a receipt, a parking space, or anything else. That's that's Facebook stuff. That's not that's not email stuff. But that's so a uh, little. little uh, you know, we're, we're friends with each other. So what I have found, because uh, Facebook came along after we graduated, it, it actually does kind of keep the relationships kind of simmering warm, where you kind of know what's going on with other folks. So that when you come back for major reunions every five years, it's, it's really a warm start. That you actually you don't have to start cold like oh, my God, where have you been? I haven't seen you or anything like that. It's actually no, like, oh, you just got back from Italy, and oh, how's your daughter doing? How's, what's your son doing this or whatever? And, and then it makes those bonds in person just much more valuable. Uh, so it's, it's been helpful in that sense. 
Sir, for your graduation speech, what did you choose to write about and how did you come up with it? So that's going back to what's changed at the Naval Academy. That's one of them. We, we didn't give speeches. Uh, yeah, nothing at all. Uh, I, I got up there. President Clinton was our speaker. So all I did was get up. I thanked him for his time out of his very busy schedule and presented him with a blue and gold monogrammed. We call them jogging suits. We don't call them blue and golds, but BGMJS, blue and gold monogrammed jogging suits. Uh, I still have mine. It's great. I think they're more flair than the current uh, version that we have, but uh, you know, different material and all that. So that's what I did. Uh, no speech. So uh, nobody remembers it. Uh, but uh, it was very short. Sir, did President Clinton put the put the jacket on? Uh, he did, and I, I have a video of it. And one thing, I I didn't help him at all. He he's got the box, and he's holding the box, trying to take his his jacket off, his coat off, and I'm just standing there watching the president struggle. It was terrible. It was painful to watch. I should have provided much more assistance. But yes, he did put it on, and, and to many cheers as you would expect. As a history major, were there any specific classes that you particularly enjoyed or really impacted the way you viewed your studies here? So I little little difference there too in my, my path. I was a history major in effectively three semesters. So I started out in high school. I loved physics. So as a as a youngster, I started out with physics, and the first semester was much like high school, and I loved it. Second semester, not so much. I uh, didn't like it. It was too theor uh, theoretical. I wanted something more hands-on. Uh, so one day, as a uh, spring semester youngster, I walk around the third deck at Rickover. I stumble into a marine engineering advisor's office shows me this little cool battery that's going to be powered by seawater. Uh, I think, awesome. He signs me up. So first semester of my second class year, I'm a marine engineering major. Also coincided with, I didn't realize it at the time, but being the brigade sergeant major, lots of collateral duties, lots of meetings, lots of paperwork on the side. So the weekly labs that were due as a marine engineering major were just killing me. I said, I can't, this is, this is not fun. I don't like this grind. Very, pretty tough semester for me. Uh, somehow I managed to validate Spanish during plebe summer. Uh, even though I think I fell asleep during the audio test portion. I did, did the multiple choice that was active enough to keep me awake, but then I'm listening to this person speak Spanish, and I, I, no, I nodded off. Um, but so I, with that in the bag, I was able to shift to history, which was allowed me to kind of get ahead, know when papers were going to be due, realize, oh, that's Army Week. I'm going to have to be done with the paper before Army Week starts, that kind of thing. Uh, so I shifted to, to history in, in just three semesters, had most of my – uh, technical uh, courses done by then. And the two courses I remember was uh, P Professor uh, Mary DeCritico and all of her courses on the Civil War just really brought that, that culture to life and gave me a deep kind of sense and understanding of, of the history of America. And, and, and I, I still have some of the textbooks from that course. And then uh, also History of the Middle East, uh, Professor Ernie Tucker. Uh, and, and what I remember, very sensitive things uh, covered in that course. And, and people had, had said some, I don't, I don't have a lot of specific memories of my midshipman days, they're kind of vague, kind of flavor memories. But, but then one day somebody had, had made uh, some kind of you know, inappropriate comment, maybe in a paper. I, don't, I think he, he said it as soon as the class started. And he was a change of personality, very stern, just about being respectful of other cultures and that we're here to learn and, and you, you need to understand the other side and all that. And that derogatory comments had no place in the classroom. And you don't see that from civilian professors too often. I mean, maybe I, I haven't been in the, the classroom in a while, but I just hadn't seen that like that kind of just just outright leadership uh, in a you know forget academic sense. Like that's just being a good person, leadership. Uh, so so he, I remember him as well, and I've seen both of them since I've since I've been back here in this role, and it's it's great to see him. 
So were they were they surprised to see you back as Depton, or was it kind of? Uh... I, I think so. I mean, they, they, when they, they, maybe they they saw it in email or, or sometime. You know, there there is some overlap, but they they're focused in the academic world, and and you could probably swap out Deptons, and they might not notice. Uh, but but they they do pay attention to see your midshipmen come back in these in these roles. They they do pay attention to that stuff. They they like to keep in touch, and and I, on a smaller scale, I've done the same thing when from my enlisted sailors getting commissioned and you see them and they come back and they kind of, you see how they've developed. Uh, so it makes you really proud and it makes you feel really old too. So I think they like, wow, one of my midshipmen is a Depton now. And they think how, you know, it gives them pause on how long they've been there, but uh, they, they love this place. That's why they stay here so long. And I think it's a testament, testament to their success that, that midshipmen that they've trained have, have turned out all right. Captain Foreman, sir, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come speak with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, and thanks for all your effort putting this together. I hope it's helpful to the brigade. That's why we're all here.